Welcome back to the Tapes Archive podcast, where we release interviews that have never been heard before. In this episode, we have Thunderfingers himself, John Entwistle. At the time of this interview in 1996, Entwistle was 51 years old and was out on his fourth solo tour. In the interview, Entwistle talks about why he picked up the bass, his sometimes forgotten contribution to the Who's music, and surprisingly how his hearing loss wasn't from live performances with the Who. As always, we have music critic Mark Allen at the helm conducting the interview. If you'd like to support the show, please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. There, we post other content and information not available on the podcast. If you'd like to read the transcripts for any of our episodes, please head over to our website at thetapesarchive.com. We'll jump into the interview after a quick word from our sponsors. The Tapes Archive is proud to be sponsored by the true crime documentary, Dead Man's Line. You've got a hundred armed officers around here trying to get a shot at me. I dared him to shoot me. I didn't go down there to be a buffoon. I went down there for vengeance. And God God, I'll have vengeance. In 1977, Tony Karitsis kidnapped a mortgage broker and held him captive for three days. For the first time ever, the media was able to cover the event live. To some, Tony was a hero. To others, he was a crazed thug. Dead Man's Line, the true story of Tony Karitsis. This award-winning film is available exclusively on Amazon Prime. One last thing before we get to the interview, the Tapes Archive podcast is a proud member of Osiris Media, a global community connecting passionate fans with podcasts and experiences about artists and topics you love. Thanks for tuning in, and now it's time to open the vault. Good afternoon, my father. Uh, John, and whistle, please. What is my name, please? Entwistle, E-N-T-W-I-S-T-L-E. Not registered. Uh, do you have a Ken Jones there? Because... Uh, yeah, I think it is Mr. Other Thing. They, they should be with, he should be with Ken Jones. Oh, I think Other Thing is Entwistle. I'm sorry? He's registered as Mr. Other Thing. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Hello. Hello. Hi, is this John? Yes, yeah, Mark Allen. Hi. Hi. Um, you're, are we okay to talk now? Yeah, fine. Great. Uh, how are you? Okay. I remember you being on the road a, a years ago as a solo album in like uh, I want to say mid seventies or so, and I don't think tour that you've done as a solo act has passed my way since. So uh, kind of... Well, I did. Uh, I did a tour with Black Rage Choir, and I went with a band called The Rock. I was back about 87, 88. This is my fourth, actually, fourth. Is that right? Anyway, will you, will you tell me something about this tour? I mean, uh, I've gotten really no background information, so what What do you, I, I take it you're playing a mix of, of things you wrote for The Who and, and your own solo stuff, and uh, like that. Can you just uh, tell me what you're, what you're up to on this tour? Um, yeah, actually selling an album that uh, never got released about uh, eight years ago called The Rock. Uh, we're selling that on the tour. Three or four songs from that. What kind of a band do you have? A good one. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> but uh, how big a band? And, uh... um, it's it's just four. It's really it's myself, Steve Longo, that's L U O N G O on drums, and uh, Godfrey Townsend on guitar, and Alan St. John, uh, S T J O N on keyboards. It's a you know, small band, but uh, 
full of the band, the more freedom you get. Are you doing all the vocals? Uh, no, we're splitting it between us. We all, we all do vocals. As far as the Who tunes you're doing, are they strictly the ones that you wrote? Um, I think there are only two that aren't. And uh, that's, uh, I think we've been using some of them. Uh, I can see for Miles as part of a medley. And The Real Me, which is a, a, a bass solo. Yeah, and, and since you brought that up, I, I think that that's like the, the perfect song that, that shows what you did with The Who that people never, I, I either never fully realized or never fully appreciated. I mean, that is a bass song more than anything else. And I think, you know, everybody has this idea that it was a guitar band, but it really was a bass band, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the bass the song is, is mostly me. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I played all the brass on that as well. So. Oh, is that right? I didn't know that. Can you talk about your role, and, and do you feel like you were underappreciated and, uh, and that you're underrated as far uh, as what you contributed? Well, yeah, I guess I always, I always have. I was appreciated by the my fellow musicians eventually sort of knew what I was doing, man. but the I mean, general public didn't really know what was what was actually sort of attributed. Were you appreciated by the band? Uh, yeah, but I mean, they didn't particularly go out of way to tell people about it. No. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that, and I, I, it seems to me that on uh, Odds and Sods, there's kind of, uh, kind of an oblique reference on Postcard where Pete says how he's mixing it, and that's the reason he's only playing uh, one chord in the whole song. But it's sort of like, it doesn't say, well, you know, the, really this song is John, and this is, uh, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, if you look throughout our songs, you will find that a lot of our songs are held together by the bass. I hate to sound sour grapes and I don't go around telling anybody, no, it was me, it was me, it was me. I did that bit, I did that bit. Yeah, but it is true. How did you come to pick up a bass? Because it, didn't you, when you started out, you were playing trumpet, right? In, in the early uh, well, I started on piano. Piano? I managed to convince my mother when I was uh, 11 that I could actually carry on teaching myself to play the piano, but I'd really like to play the trumpet. Basically, there were too many trumpet players around there because it was jazz days. Right. The, the school orchestra gave me a venture on instead, so I took up classical horn. And, uh, yeah, I, I, was, I was never really happy with jazz, you know, but rock and roll, I started discovering rock and roll. Uh, it was just starting out, you know. I really wanted to change an instrument, you know, no one wanted a trumpet player in their band. You know, if I'd been a sax player, okay, but uh, I was a trumpet player, and that didn't fit, so I, I made myself a bass guitar. You made yourself a bass guitar? Yeah, yeah, I couldn't afford to buy one. So I made it. It didn't live very long. I might as well have just you know, sort of bought one. The, the guy managed to buy some, a stolen body and some stolen parts. <laughs> I made myself one for about eight pounds. You know, but, but we had a, a local factory, uh, Fenton Wild. It used to be Burns Wild. Uh, it was just around the corner from where I lived, so I managed to procure the parts. Ended up the... Well, I suppose you could call it a real bass. It wasn't exactly wonderful. But it's... And what made you want to play the bass? Uh, basically, the, the, the sound of it, yeah. Really? I was a very bad bass player in a lot of bad bands when I was a kid. And, uh... I, I, always, I always thought that Dwayne Eddy played bass. Uh -huh. I, mean, I, <laughs> well... I mean, he played a lot of low low parts, and I, I, I liked Dwayne Eddy in the first couple of albums that he did. I, I always felt the bass was kind of like more sinister, more phallic. Yeah, yeah and I, I, but usually the people who pick up the bass are kind of like the last guy to get into the band. <laughs> 
know, it's like we need a bass player. You play bass. So. And I was kind of the opposite from me. Yeah, yeah, which is uh, which is really interesting. Were you immediately good at it? I mean, was it is it a hard instrument for you to master? Um, I, I I picked it up pretty quickly because I, I have a music background. I've been reading music and uh, I've been reading music since I was six. I just fell I just fell right into it. It took me a little while to uh, to build up my own playing style. That came by a mistake. I, I, I saw this bass player playing with his first two fingers. I figured, well, I should be able to do that dead easy because I played the trumpet with my right hand, French horn with my left, and I played piano. So I started playing with, with two fingers. I met the guy a couple of years later. He came up and said, you know, I, you know, I was using all four fingers by then, five fingers. And he was amazed at my, at my finger style. And I said, well, I, I got it from you anyway. Yeah, well, I saw you, and he said, oh, no, he said, uh, I always play with my thumb. He said, uh, I had a big blister on my thumb, so I played with my first finger, and when that got blister on it, I played with my second. <laughs> uh, it, was all a, it was all a fallacy. Oh, that's that's a pretty funny story, I like that. Um, when you write songs, do you write on the bass? Um, sometimes, I, usually I, I write on keyboards or, or eight-string bass if it's, if it's that style of song. Wow, so um, so let me throw out a couple of song titles of yours and tell me, I mean, like, uh, My Wife, how did you write that one? Uh, that, was a, that was a weird one. I actually wrote that with no instrument at all. I uh, I had an argument with my wife, and I took my two uh, Scottish deerhounds for a walk, and uh, I made up this imaginary wife that was chasing me. And uh, it kind of came from that. I, I had the tune and the words in my head at the same time. Boris the Spider, that must have been written on bass, right? Uh, that was that was on bass, but that was kind of an instant instant song. But uh, I was embarrassed that I hadn't written another song, so I made it up as I went along. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, I'll tell us one more. I'm Heaven and Hell. Heaven and Hell, that was, um, that was written on bass. So uh, I wrote Cousin Kevin. I was from Tommy on piano, you know, acoustic piano. And uh, a lot of the others, were, you know, obviously the ones with, with where the eight-string figures, like Success Story, I was written on eight-string. But most of them were on uh, either piano or, or some kind of synthesizer. Along with people not really recognizing your contributions to the, the Who music, do you think people are aware, I mean, especially toward the, the later days of the Who, I think you wrote probably the best songs that, that ended up on the albums. Do you think do you think people are aware that uh, that you were a songwriter and a contributor in that way? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it gets it gets a little difficult now because everything comes out on CD and the writing's much smaller. <laughs> you can't get as much info. On. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I found a lot of people have forgotten that I actually played all, all the horns and, and brass on Tommy and Quadrophenia and the soundtrack album, the films. It kind of upsets me a little bit, but I mean, you can't fit everything on the CD, okay? So, do you feel like when you're on this tour that, that maybe people are getting like a real a rediscovery of John Entwistle? That maybe they're. Oh, I think it? they are, yeah. I mean, from what I've done with a couple of concerts so far, because I, I get a lot of I get a lot more room on this tour to stretch out and play some bass solos. Well, they're not really bass solos, they're bass guitar solos. I think bass solos are pretty boring, <laughs> but uh, bass guitar solos are. Uh, how do you differentiate that? Uh, bass guitar sounds like a guitar. It's just an octave lower. You know, as far as bass is concerned, it's, it's uh, a bass sound, you know, a boomy sound. Are there other bass players that you admire? Um, 
many. I mean, yeah. there, there are other bass players that, that uh, went along the same lines as me, uh, but a little later than I did. Uh, Kiss Choir, Billy Sheer, they all play a kind of a lead bass sound. But, um, not really, just not really using the same sound as myself. I, I use a, uh, mostly guitar amps on the top end. I have my clean bass sound down the bottom, but I'm, I, it's, it's more of a guitar amplifier. So if the guitar is plugged in, it'll get an amazing sound. You mentioned Tommy. Have you seen the Broadway show? Uh, several times, yeah. And your impression? It's pretty good for Broadway. It's about as rock and roll as you'll get for Broadway, I guess. The extra song, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and how about the changes of the lyrics? Sorry, but... I mean, you know, Tommy is now uh, kind of a normal guy instead of the Messiah. Uh, I guess it's a bad week. <laughs> it's, uh, I, don't know. Uh, I don't know. I just I listen to him when he when he's uh, when they sing "Freedom Lies Here in Normality" uh, and "I'm Free," and I think uh, I don't know. I can't really listen to this. You know, it uh, to me it kind of ruins the uh, what you guys had created. So, and uh, I wonder how you felt about it. I know it's Tommy with a suit on. <laughs> That's right, Tommy. Tommy's grown up and gotten a job, I guess. Yeah, right. yeah. You've seen it several times, though, so obviously yeah, you must like yeah, it. I saw, I saw the toy version in L.A. Um, I almost got to see the German version, but I uh, had a severe reaction to the program. <laughs> okay. um, I read something that, that you're working on some books about the history of The Who. No, it's not a history. It's, it's, it's more like our story. From, from my point of view. It's a funny book. It's not a serious, like, uh, tear the whole apart, they've gone. Are there there's misconceptions that uh, that you think should be cleared up about the who? And, uh... Uh, there, there are thousands, yeah. Okay, you want to give me... Most of the people that wrote, wrote books about the who I've never even met before. Would you like to clear up one or two now? No. No? Okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> it sounds much better when it's, it, it, when it's written in a funny way rather than... Okay. Um, I, and, I tend to rant and rave when I, when I talk about the who and that. All right. <laughs> is, is it three books? Did I read that right? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get the first one finished by the end of this year, but um, uh, hopefully nothing will crop up to, to make me put it back on the shelf again. And do you have a publisher? They're certainly interested, but uh, I haven't actually started uh, passing around yet. Uh, you've got some reissues or, or new discs in the works, something like that? There's a, a remix. It's just called Entwistle, which is a selection of songs from the, the solo albums. And then a few months after that, I believe they're going to release the solo albums in, in the right order. Is that right? Okay. Is that all on Rhino? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. For, for a little bit. It's on repertoire in Europe. What will people learn about you from the solo albums, do you think? I mean, it's been a long time since I've listened to some, a couple of them, and uh, so I'm probably, wondering... They've probably done them a little strange. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Strange. I, I get a lot of a lot of young bands in my studio. You know, they they I, I, I listen to their stuff because they're obviously recording there. And uh, I have a, a large, like sort of twenty uh, foot long bar that uh, the, the bands come into, and so I, I subject them to some of my stuff. And they can't actually believe that it's that that it's twenty years old because it sounds kind of modern. You know, a lot of a lot of new bands uh, 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 playing with the same chords that I did. Just 
just a couple other things I'll, I'll let you go. You're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I wonder what, what you think of the idea of a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and what you think the criteria should be for people to get in. Uh, I, I think that's the last part. Oh, I, what, what should be the criteria for people to get into the, uh, to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I don't know. I guess I guess they probably got it right. Most of the people there, I mean, they've, they've been going for like sort of twenty five years. I think the limit is. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, if you're if you're still around after that amount of time, one form or another, then yeah, I think I guess they should get you in. Should that be the only criteria, or should there be uh, more than that? No, I think they should have made some kind, you know, some very very strong contribution to to rock and roll. And what do you think of the hall in general? Have you been there? I, had, I I saw it when it was partly finished. I had a private tour around there, so I haven't seen it in its full glory. But I, I'm supposed to be doing a an album signing. The album that we're we're selling on a tour, The Rock. I'm supposed to be doing that at the Hall of Fame. So I guess I'll see it there. Do you like the idea of having a Hall of Fame for rock and roll? Well, if baseball's got one, we should have one. Yeah, I guess so. But it's sort of like Tommy in a suit, maybe. You know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Roger Daltrey, a couple of years ago, he said that, that you wear two hearing aids. Is that correct? <laughs> I tried, but it doesn't work. No, I mean, uh, he should. <laughs> I mean, he, he's got absolutely no highs left at all. I have a hearing problem, but it didn't happen for the same reason that he, he, he says it did. You know, I, I had absolutely perfect hearing when the hoop stopped. I had my hearing tested, and it was above average. I missed out one frequency, which was a high frequency, but the equipment was humming. But they wouldn't allow me the frequency. But I, I lost three or four dB in each ear about muscle closing. There's a muscle that closes when you get a loud noise, and those muscles are permanently closed now because I, I spent a whole day listening to a click track through headphones on a recording session. Headphones are the most dangerous thing in the world. I refuse to wear them in the studio now. I just play in the control room. Plug straight into the bed. My hearing has gone down by 3 or 4 dB, but it's gone down perfectly flat, so I can, I can still produce records and listen to music. It's just basically conversation. Well, you're doing pretty well with me, and I tend to mumble a lot, so that's that's not bad at all. It's basically a slight whistle and the closed muscles, but I'm, I'm not blaming rock and roll for that. I'm blaming the headphones. I'm blaming Click tracks. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and finally, if, if I don't know if you'll want to do this, if you'll indulge me, but would you tell me the, if people want to, to really appreciate what a great bass player you are, what, what are the five songs that you've done uh, that they should listen to? Oh, five songs. Well, uh, ten songs, however many you want to mention. I don't care. But I just, I usually just like to leave it to five. But whatever you like. Some of the things I'm down live at least, uh, the real me. I mean, I do a lot better stuff on stage than I've done on record with parts of Quadrophenia. As far as my solo albums are concerned, I think probably uh, I was I was actually very tongue-in-cheek, uh, Dancing Master from Too Late the Hero. Um, but really, if you want to hear me play some silly bass, come and, come and watch me in concert. That's when I play it. Why is that? Are you just more comfortable in a live setting? No, it doesn't fit on the records. Oh. Really. <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, I mean, we, when we when we did live live stuff, we had like a about thirty minutes at the end there where we we just played stuff off the top of our head, and that gave us a chance to show where we could really play. You can't overindulge on a record. Uh, anything else you want me to co- tell people that we haven't covered? No, did we cover the archer? Uh, no.
Oh, oh, that's right. You know that that art show was supposed to come here. I thought, and uh, to Indianapolis, and uh, um, and I don't think it did. You know, it's kind of running about month after the who the, the, the tour started. Right? It, it's kind of uh, we're starting in Cleveland now. I'm doing a signing at the uh, Hall of Fame, and then the art show is opposite the Hall of Fame. A series of lithographs that I've uh, I, after I did the Who by Numbers cover, it got me interested in art again. This gallery out of out of Colorado. Uh, yeah, Walnut Street. Yeah. Right, Walnut Street. Yeah, Laura Evely is a friend of mine. Yeah, so I, I got a flyer from her a while back saying that 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 show was going to come here, but it never did. So I guess it got delayed. That's right. Where are you based from? Uh, Indianapolis. Indianapolis. But at any rate, um, so these are lithographs of uh, of uh, different pictures that you've drawn of uh, um, music. Oh yeah, great cartoons. Uh, all cartoons. Cartoons of rock stars. Is there a Keith Moon cartoon in the collection? Yeah, there's a couple, couple of uh, imaginary ancestors that I threw in there. Do you know, well, I could call Walnut Street Gallery and they'll know when it's coming to town, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it's not traveling with you, right? Um, I might have to, after the music tour's finished, I might have to visit a few places that I missed because uh, we couldn't really tie them all up at the same time as the concerts. We're trying as close as we can. Well, I will, uh, I'll definitely mention that, and I uh, appreciate your time. Good luck with the tour. Hope everything goes well, and uh, I'll see you in a week or so. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tapes Archive podcast. Please remember you can always find more information about the show and the individual episodes at our website, thetapesarchive.com. Until next time, the vault is closed. <laughs>